Give the Lord some praise. He's worthy of praise. The songwriter says, I lift my hands in total praise. Worthy of praise with our hearts, our minds, our bodies. The strength of our life. The source of my strength. Father in heaven, indeed, we give you praise this morning. We lift our hands, we lift our hearts, we lift our eyes to the hills from which cometh our help. Our help comes from you this morning. Lord, we, we, we are those who trust in you. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We give you praise this morning, total praise. Receive the fruit of our lips this praise. Receive the fruit of our lives as praise. Receive, O oh Lord, the fruit of our, our thoughts as praise. Be praised, O oh Lord, in our coming in and our going out. Be praised in our lying down and our getting up. Be praised, O oh Lord, at all times we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Praise be to God. Amen. amen. Praise him, praise him. Yes, yes, yes. Nothing wrong with calling on his name. Nothing wrong with giving God praise. The truth is we sit on our hands too much. God who is infinite in love and perfect in goodness, does all things well, is worthy of our praise, worthy of our praise. Thirty-six percent of all Americans, that's one in three, a little over one in three, are experiencing loneliness. Of those, 61% are young adults. So contrary to the stereotype of young people always being in groups, always doing something, a lot of them are lonely. 51% are mothers with children. So these are people surrounded by little people all day long, still lonely, dying for some adult conversation. Loneliness is in the opinion of many, an epidemic right now. It's so widespread that countries like the UK and Japan have actually created government positions called ministers of loneliness, whose task it is is to help those countries develop approaches to ending the epidemic. Uh, loneliness is one problem, but it's also associated with other problems. So with loneliness comes an increased risk of death, poverty, obesity, heart disease, and depression. I wonder if there's anybody lonely this morning. They're experiencing that, feeling that. 
It is, as I said, in the minds of some, an epidemic. But what's the cure for it? How do we combat loneliness? How do we end this season of separation? And of course, the pandemic has made it worse. Right? It has forced upon the loneliness more separation. And with that has come mental health issues and physical health issues and things of that sort. How do we how do we address this? Does the church have any unique part in addressing this problem with loneliness? Well, we're continuing our series through our church covenant. This is a document that helps define how we agree to live together. We are summarizing some key points in the Bible that help define what a church's life should look like as a community. And the section that we have come to, I think, if it's kept, would make the local church a significant cure in the world's epidemic of loneliness. The next section in our church covenant, I think you'll find that on page 11 or so of your bulletin. The next section in our church covenant includes these words. It's about halfway down. We will rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, helping to carry each other's burdens. We will rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, helping to carry each other's burdens. Now, this part of our church covenant is nearly a word-for-word quotation of two passages in Scripture, two verses from the Bible. Romans chapter 12, verse 15, which Babatunde read for us earlier, says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the love of Christ. Bear or carry one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So when we come to this part of the covenant, like really the rest of the covenant, we we are again merely summarizing what the Bible calls Christians to do in community and committing ourselves to it. So I want us to think about this. What does it mean to be a covenant community in light of this part of our church covenant. I think it means three things. If you're taking notes, this is the outline for our time together. A covenant community, number one, wills together. Wills together, W-I-L-L-S. A covenant community, number two, feels together. Feels together, F-E-E-L-S. And a covenant community number three heals together. Heals together, H-E-A-L-S. And all of a sudden, I feel nervous that I didn't spell those words right. But y'all, y'all, know, how to, y'all know how to spell them. It wills together. It feels together. It heals together. That's what a covenant community is according to this passage. So let's take, these, let's take these one at a time. Number one, a covenant community wills together. Notice the sentence in the covenant begins with the words, we will. We will. We will indicates that a group, we, is making a resolution or a commitment, will. So with this line, we, the members of Anacostia River Church, are all promising or resolving or committing to do something. We're forming a pact together that involves a commitment of the will. 
So what we promise in the rest of this sentence really cannot happen without effort. That's why we have to will it. There must be investments of energy and time, of emotion and of practical action. When we say we will, don't just sort of let that fade into the background like noise. Hear those words. When we say we will, we are stopping the negotiating with ourselves that we often do, and we are dedicating ourselves to this action. So, so the end of negotiating with ourselves is, is really key in knowing whether or not we are truly committed to the covenant. If we are not committed, then we bargain with ourselves about these things, don't we? We start talking to ourselves. A situation comes up and, and we ask ourselves a question like, am I going tonight? Do I want to be bothered today? I know I should, but I really don't feel like it. Or I said I would do it, but so-and-so is having a get-together. I think I'd rather go over there. Or for the introverts like me, do I have energy for this? I'm just tired of thinking about it. <laughs> just tired of thinking about it. Why, why did I say I would? Maybe that's just me. Anybody ever have those kind of monologues going on? Thank you, brother. In their heads when it comes to a commitment with the church family. The, the phrase, we will, if we mean it, though, cuts through all of the negotiation that we do with ourselves, all of the bargaining with, that we do with ourselves. When we say we will before God, we are committing ourselves decisively to him to his people, and to ourselves. Now, Lord willing, when we finish this sermon series, we, we plan to have a, a covenant signing ceremony. If you're a member of this church, you've already signed the, the ceremony, uh, excuse me, signed the covenant as a part of indicating your commitment to this church family and the very things that we're talking about here. But we've had two years for dust to kind of gather on that document and dust to kind of gather on our understanding of church commitment. And so we want to, in both a symbolic and substantive way, conclude this series by, again, maybe getting a great big old blow-up covenant uh, printed and having all the members sign, again, indicating that we will care for each other in the way that God has called us to. Now, we don't want that to merely be ceremony, beloved. We want that to be a self-conscious, intentional commitment to, again, end the bargaining that we do mentally and really put into practice the promises that we make here. So I, I want to encourage us all, given that, to begin these things now, to restart these things now, or to level up if you feel like you've already been doing these things. Let's hit the ceremony with a running start. Let's hit the ceremony with active practice because a covenant community wills together. How is your will? Where is your resolution and commitment? Are you bargaining and negotiating? Or are you dedicated and committed? We encourage you to decide that decisively, to end the bargaining, and let us commit again resolutely to the things that we promise in our covenant. It's how we form this community. Which brings us to our second point. A covenant community feels together. So, so what is it that we promise we will do in this sentence? Notice what's said there. 
is how I summarize Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So Romans 12, 15 is giving us two emotions that covers life's highs, rejoice, and life's lows, weep, right? So rejoicing and weeping symbolize really the, the whole range of human experience. Rejoicing involves things that make you happy, and weeping involves things that make you cry. And as members together of Christ's church, members together of this local church, we are meant to experience together everything from joy to sorrow. Another way we could put this is a covenant community is a community of empathy. It's a community of empathy. Empathy is the ability to understand and to share. It's both things now, to understand and to share the feelings of another person from their perspective, from their perspective, their, their point of view instead of our own. So it's, it's not empathy if somebody tells you what they're going through and we say, well, I think you ought to. Well, that's your perspective, right? You're not entering into what they're dealing with right? You, you've not sort of shared with them their experience. You see, empathy isn't about me. Empathy is about the other person. I empathy is putting yourself in somebody else's shoes for a moment. And it's different from sympathy. Sympathy is being moved by someone else's experience, but still keeping a kind of distance from it, a distinction from it. Well, empathy is not only being moved, but also entering into the experience with the person. I love the way Dr. Brene Brown illustrates this. She says, sympathy is to see someone in a deep hole while remaining on higher ground and talking to them from above. The sympathetic person may also try to simply put a silver lining on the other person's situation instead of acknowledging the person's pain. Conversely, empathy it's feeling with the person. It's climbing down the hole to sit beside them, making yourself vulnerable to sincerely connect with them. So sympathy stands up at the top and looks down in the, in the pit. Empathy climbs down in the pit with the person, shares with them. And the local church, according to Romans 12, 15, should be a covenant community where we climb down into the hole with each other or where we climb up on the mountain with each other to rejoice together. We are entering into one another's experience. Now, all of this should be a real natural part of the gospel and of what Christ has done in creating a church. Just real quickly, think about what we're told about the gospel, about Jesus' perspective on the gospel, for example, that he, he looked at the cross and despised his shame, right? He despised, he looked at it, he didn't regard the, the suffering of the cross as, a, as an inhibition, something to push him off, but, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured it. Right? So there, there's a very sort of um, emotional component to what Jesus is doing when he goes to the cross for us. He is identifying with us in our weaknesses and identifying with us in our infirmities, but he's also rejoicing at the people he's about to purchase with his blood. 
And it makes sense that something of that should carry over into the community that Jesus forms by his sacrifice. And indeed, this is what the Bible tells us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you want to turn there with me, you can. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 24 to 27. The Apostle Paul has described the local church as the body of Christ, and he's been using that body imagery to describe how the church should operate. And at this point in the argument, he comes to this issue of empathy. So look with me at the, the second part of verse 24, where he says there, God has so composed the, pot, the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now look at verse 26, and you know, verse 26 is explaining that he's really talking about empathy here. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Doesn't that sound like weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice? Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So what Paul is saying here is that feeling together, having empathy with one another, is really the manifestation of being united spiritually to Jesus Christ as parts of his one body. So then the ability to show empathy and the experience of receiving empathy, both of them, the ability to show empathy and the experience of receiving empathy should be a normal part of the, of, of the Christian life and the Christian church. Or to put it in the negative, a church whose members do not feel together is an unhealthy church because it is not functioning like Jesus's body. Now, there are some implications for all of this. So in a true community of any sort, you don't expect everyone to all feel the exact same way all the time. That's not quite what this text is saying here. That's, there's not one feeling that everybody always has, right? Okay, so there's some diversity of feeling. And in a true community, you don't force people to feel or pretend to feel something they don't actually feel, right? So we're not talking about faking it till you make it. We're not talking about coercion, right? In a true community, you, you want people to be able to bring their full selves into that community, good and bad. And so our job as the body of Christ is to enter into the various feelings that people have, to enter into that on some level before we address the feeling, biblically, right? Now, if that's true, here's a question. Why do, so, why, why do we so often do church if there's, if there's only one acceptable way to feel? I mean, if you look at the American church, it's, it's pretty clear that most Christians think the only acceptable experience or feeling is joy. All the songs are happy. All the conversation is upbeat. All the sermons make you feel warm and cuddly. Well, you know, if you've been here and heard my sermons, you know that's not always the case, right? Right? But we're meant to feel all the things we feel. And we're meant to bring all the things we feel to Christ and to his church, to be brought under his lordship. So there needs to be room for weeping and discouragement, for worry and lament 
for doubt and anxiety so that all those things, again, can be brought to the caring hands of our Lord. So in a community, all the experiences and emotions should really be swirled together. In a room this size with, you know, this number of people, surely we are feeling 50 different things at any given point in time. And what we need is for sorrowing people to find a way to be happy with the rejoicing and for rejoicing people to find a way to share in another sorrow, all in the same community. So we sing a song like Total Praise, and someone has just gotten a diagnosis from the doctor, and their praise of God is actually growing up out of pain. And someone else has just had a dream come true, and their praise of God is growing up out of that dream, out of joy. And so one is on their knees weeping, and the other is both hands outstretched right next to each other. And the question is, is that merely an individual experience of some spiritual praise to God, or can they, after the song, turn to each other and share in what the other is feeling? That's what's being spoken of here. What you feel, I'm supposed to feel. What I feel you're supposed to feel. Not, not in the exact same way or to the exact same degree. That's impossible. But we can truly share some of it together. In fact, Romans 12, 15 commands us to. And I think as a church, we, I think in, in many ways we do these things. So just some illustrations. I think of the members who, who really weep because they have not had or cannot have children. But despite their weeping for themselves, they, they, they attend the baby shower of someone who's pregnant. And they enter into that joy and participate in that joy, even though at the same time they're feeling their own sorrow. The same thing happens with marriage. Someone is proposed to and engaged, and they are joyful, and others who are longing to be married, for whom that's not happened yet, they, they, they enter into that joy, even if they're still feeling their own longing. That's, that's empathy. Or I think of those of you who've comforted those who've lost loved ones. You've heard us mention it a number of times, in part because personally I'm, I'm so appreciative. But I think of our sister Julia turning her own grief experience into a source of comfort for others through grief share. Right? Or the members who have gone out to community vigils when, when there has been a, a loss of life, to share with the community, the wider community, and to share with those families who have lost loved ones. Or I think of the members who each year host a celebration for those high school seniors who are graduating, to rejoice with them as they turn the page into a new chapter, leaving high school and going off to college or work or whatever the Lord has for them. Those older members who have graduated sometime before, entering into, again, the joy of younger members. I see a number of you helping others to celebrate their birthdays. You're rejoicing with them. And what I notice, say, for example, on Instagram, when you're posting pictures and things of that sort, you're not just celebrating a birthday. But what I notice is that often you guys are just bigging up the other person. Right? There's a lot of affirmation. There's a lot of um, really exulting in the person, delighting in the person as you share together in those celebrations. Now, this is just a smattering of examples from the life of our church, but these are the kinds of things that should be common in the life of the church, and these are the kinds of things that we actually don't want anyone left out of. We want this empathy to be universal in its inclusion, to gather all the members into it. 
Now, feeling this way together, feeling together this way, in order to do this more fully, we, we may have to challenge some thoughts that we had. Let me give you a few that I thought of, and maybe over lunch you can think of others, but let me give you a few, a few three or four that I thought of. We, we may have to challenge our view of the body of Christ itself, right? So there are people who like to talk about being members of the body of Christ spiritually without being members of the body of Christ locally and visibly and physically. So they're emphasizing the spiritual nature of Christ's church while de-emphasizing the, the local and the physical. But beloved, I would just simply say the Bible actually never does that. It never does that. That's a, to the Bible and the writers of the Bible, that's a strange way of thinking about the church. When the Bible talks about the spiritual realities of Christ's body, it always applies those spiritual truths to actual, visible, local, physical churches. Always. And truthfully, the kind of things that we're talking about here, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who, who weep, those things can only be true of a church where we recognize the church. And the way we recognize the church is in church membership, right? So it may be the case that you can do that with your roommates and your friends, and that's fantastic. Don't stop doing that. I'm just here to tell you that the Bible says that is no replacement for the church. And that you can do that with your friends and leave out a whole congregation of hundreds who are also meant to give and receive empathy with you. So we may need to change our view of the centrality of a local church, or we may need to change our view of privacy. We cannot be so private that we don't tell others when we're rejoicing or weeping. And I've seen both among Christians. I've seen Christians get really, really wonderful news and decided not gonna tell anybody, right? And, and sometimes they have their reasons for, I, well, I know that so-and-so is going through, I don't wanna discourage them. Well, have you ever thought that your joy might be what helps them get out of their discouragement? You know, or so-and-so struggles with this and, you know, I don't wanna to add to their struggle. Same thing, God has good purposes for your joy in the lives, not only of your life, but in the lives of other people too. Right? And, and, and the opposite is true. There are people who are struggling and struggle with various things and, and would never tell anyone. Now, don't do that. If, if you struggle in some way, if you're weeping in some way, that's meant to be shared. People are meant to enter into that with you and to, by entering it, help you with it. In the loneliness, build a fellowship, build a sweetness and a unity. And let me go ahead and tell you, if you decide that, you know, you, you're weeping in some way, you're hurting in some way, and you ain't going to tell nobody, don't get mad at people when they don't know. That, that's just the natural consequence of you not telling somebody. No mind readers in here, right? It's nobody, it's nobody keeping track of your life that closely that they know every time you're happy or every time you're sad, right? So if you're not going to tell anybody, Okay, also go ahead and agree with yourself. You're not going to get mad at nobody either. All right? We need at least enough openness to allow at least a few brothers and sisters in to keep covenant with us, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, and know that it is, in fact, God's intent that as we do that, those we share with are going to enter into that feeling experience with us. They're going to empathize with us. And that's when the body is healthy right? So put it a different way. If you want to make your church unhealthy, stop sharing with people. 
pull back and be private. Don't let anybody know you or what's going on with you. That's an easy way to very quickly make a, a community that's meant to be full of empathy and caring a cold and distant community of loneliness. Right? We don't want that. Let me something else, one other thing. We might actually need to challenge our view of emotions themselves. It's possible, this is what I mean, it's possible for joy and sorrow to exist at the same time, right? This is easily the case in a community, but don't you, don't you know it's also the case within an individual? I had a good reminder of this as we finished our last session of, of Grief Share, where one of the persons who were being interviewed said, basically, it's possible for, for pain and for joy to occupy the same space when you're mourning a loved one. That's true of, of everything, right? We are dynamic, complex individuals. And you could ask us one question and, and get a, a sorrowful response, and you can ask us a different question, and we began to rejoice all in the span of a few seconds, right? And so what's happening in the body of Christ, what's happening in the church is something like 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, where Paul says they're describing himself and, and ministers and Christians more generally, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. But that, that, that's, the, that's, that's normal. That's the case with us. And what it means for us is we want a wider range of empathy, a, a wider ability to empathize, in both the highs and the lows of those that we are in covenant with. So how do we apply this? A couple things here real quickly. This week, try to find some way to rejoice with someone else. Right? Be, a, be a detective looking for joy. Share your joy with someone else. Enter into the joy of another person. Right? Feel it with them. Also, number two, try to find a way to weep with someone who's weeping. Try to enter their sorrow. Share it with them. Feel it with them. So let's see if this week each of us can experience the range of empathy that's spoken of in Romans 12, 15, where we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep inside the covenant community of Christ. Which brings us to our third point. So a covenant community wills together, a covenant community feels together. Number three, and I think this follows from numbers one and two, a covenant community heals together. It heals together. That's the second part of our, our covenant. It says, helping to carry each other's burdens. And again, that comes from Galatians chapter six, verse two, where Paul writes there, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, he's saying, when you help someone carry their burdens, you're actually fulfilling Christ's command to love one another, right? This is a practical way of expressing Christian love inside the church. But what is a burden? Well, a burden is a heavy load, right? It's, it's, it's an experience that, that weighs us down. It's an experience that oppresses us, really. We used to refer to certain animals as beasts of burden. You think about donkeys and mules and um, even elephants in some places and camels, uh, oxen, uh, animals that, that because of their great strength, they, they were used by human beings to, to carry heavy loads from one place to, to another. They were loaded down with big bags or, 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 or big suitcases. 
that actually can't life sometimes seem to turn human beings into beasts of burdens? We're just carrying so much, weighed down, oppressed by it all. Now, it's obvious that the Bible sees that Christians, we will have burdens. We'll have heavy things to carry. We are not strangers to suffering. We have burdens. But now the, the thing about burdens, that they're too heavy to carry alone. Burdens exhaust us. They, they outpace our strength. So we need help to carry them. And our covenant here, and the Bible in Galatians 6.2, is calling us to commit ourselves to doing precisely that, helping each other carry our heavy loads, carry our burdens. It's through the help that we get that we actually experience healing together. There's a cliche, maybe you've heard it, a burden shared is a burden half. It's a burden cut in half. So carrying a burden together lightens the burden. It lightens the load. You, for example, you can't carry a sleeper soaper all by yourself. You need at least one other person, younger than me, with a better back, right? And if you can get two or three other people, then it's, it's all the, the, the lighter still, isn't it? And a lighter load, beloved, what I'm suggesting to you, feels like healing. The release that comes from it feels like a certain kind of healing, or at least opens up the space that allows healing to take place. And we are meant to experience that in community together. Let me, let me put it to you this way. It might be the case that one of the reasons God is allowing you a burden is to force you into community, to force you to find some other people who are spiritually minded, who will get a shoulder beneath that burden alongside you. And together, we begin to shoulder that burden and to make it lighter. It might be the case that God didn't give you a burden to make you stronger. He gave you a burden to make you more interdependent, to bring you into relationship with others. And again, when I think about the the work of the Lord in this church and the grace that he's shown us um, thus far as a church. I think of so many illustrations, man. I, I think of persons who are needing medical care and, um, you know, unable to drive themselves to and from doctors' offices and members going with them to not only take them to that appointment, but to sit with them before or after and to um, share a meal together or to weep together or whatever the, the case may be. I think of members who face depression. And the members I'm thinking of have a couple of brothers or sisters in the church who help them face it and address it. Those members are carrying the load of, of depression with their siblings in Christ. And that, that tends to help lighten the load and to open space for healing. I, I think of brothers or sisters in Christ who want to follow the Lord in personal purity. They want to avoid sexual sins like sex before marriage or pornography or acting on same-sex attraction. They are pursuing the Lord by obeying the Bible's teaching about human sexuality, but it's a burden. And, and they have accountability partners who encourage them and who walk with them. They are carrying that burden together, and that helps lighten the load and bring healing. As a church, we maintain a benevolence ministry. Deaconess Dawn Coven has uh, recently assembled a, a member care team 
to some of you who have volunteered to work with Dawn and to partner with the pastors to reach out to the members of the church to, to see how members are doing and to see if, if folks are out there carrying burdens that we maybe didn't know about. And then to, as a team, help to carry those burdens. So if you get an email from that team member saying, hey, just checking in on you, see how you're doing, you know, don't get all private again. I ain't, I don't know you. Why are you in my business? The answer is Jesus sent me to get in your business. All right? right? Know how you're doing and care for each other and experience healing. Or I think of the many of our men who participate in the triad groups, right? Those are groups of three or four or five or six brothers. They had trouble defining triad. Um, who, who, regularly, who regularly meet to read the Bible and to pray and um, to share with one another and to encourage one another. And I think some of the loneliest people on the planet are men. We get lonelier and lonelier the older we get, right? Because we get more and more isolated. We tend, we tend that way. But in those triad groups, there's kind of shoulder to shoulder, locking arms, carrying burdens together week to week. Or I think of people who find their way to ARC after seasons of church hurt or disappointment or burnout from serving in their previous churches. The pastors here, we tell them just to come, worship with us, meet people. There's no pressure to join immediately. And if they join, there's no pressure to get involved in a ministry right away. We say, hey, take the first six months and just get to know people. There's simply the encouragement to heal by being together being with God's people and carrying together whatever burden has brought them to that disappointment or hurt or burnout, right? In these ways and many more, a covenant community, we heal together. And I praise God for these ways. But even so, we should hunger for more from God, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we hunger and ask God for more healing, for more grace? For, for more sharing of the burden and lightening of the load. I mean, this is the Lord who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he invites us to take his yoke upon him and to learn from him. Well, how do we learn from him? It's through his word. When he says things like carry each other's burdens. And so we are yoked together. But the question becomes, as we're asking for more, are there groups of Christians who don't find the covenant community, who don't find the local church a safe place and a healing place? We really are. And we have to ask ourselves, are, are people dealing, for example, with same-sex attraction able to share their struggles in the covenant community without facing disgust or rage or mockery or anger? Or are people fighting addictions able to find help with their burden without facing rejection and indifference and opposition and scorn? Or are people working through mental health challenges able to participate in the covenant community without facing shame and stigma and discrimination? We, we could go on, right? Who is there on the borders of the covenant community just beyond the reach of empathy and just beyond the reach of healing. Can we, as a church, say we will feel with them and provide a place where we heal with them? 
We live in a world where everyone needs or will need healing of some sort. But you can't find it in every community. And sadly, you can't find it in every church community. So can the covenant community, can ARC be that relationship where burdens are carried and the burdened are healed? See, if we're Christians, we know that our healing began the day we heard the gospel and believed. It began the day that we heard the good news that there was a Savior sent from God who, who identified with us in our suffering and, in fact, took our place in the ultimate suffering of God judging sins. And this same Savior, though he could identify with us in all of our weaknesses and all of our failures and infirmities, he himself was without sin and offered to God in our place a perfect righteousness to please God on our behalf. Now, if you're not yet a Christian, this same path of discovering Jesus and then joining his church, joining his community, is the path of healing you need. This same one we took. We're not special. God saved us the way he saves anybody, by turning us away from our sin, causing us to acknowledge it, and, and causing us to put our faith in Jesus as the one who rescues us from God's judgment to come, and the one who's promised us a new life, right? And in that new life has began to renew our hearts, to renew our minds, began to sort of take away all of the dross and the weeds that have been in our lives for so long and has placed us in his family with other people who are being tended to by God in the same way. We have known this journey of healing, and it's the journey that God invites you to. Because ultimately, our greatest sickness, our greatest illness is our sin. The ways in which we rebel against God and disobey God, and the ways in which we, we, right, we make God angry, righteously angry with us because of our sin. That's our greatest sickness, right? It's the thing that we tend not to pay a lot of attention to. We're, we're like those people who are sick and refuse to go to the doctor. If we are sinners and we refuse to go to the one who can forgive us our sins and take it away, well, we're refusing to go to the physician of our souls. We're refusing to go to the one who can cure us and heal us. It's just Jesus, whose blood shed on the cross cleanses us of all of our sins and whose resurrection from the grave defeats death for us that we might live eternally through faith in him. And in him, we have been adopted as children of God and brought into the family of God. This church being just a small sort of inkling, a small representation of that great family of God, which includes people from every nation, tribe, and language, every income group, every job or occupation, which includes people from all over the world from all time. It should include you too. You should come get some of this, of this forgiveness, this healing, this cleansing, this renewal that happens only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and can be shared with his people. This is why we exist, is to tell people this good news. There's a way to escape God's judgment. There's a way to be cleansed. There's a way to be forgiven. There's a way to be made brand new. And it doesn't require work from you. It requires faith from you. And you put your faith in Jesus because he's done the work on the cross and in the resurrection. Oh, don't, don't wait another day. Don't delay. Put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and begin to follow him 
by faith. There's a lot more that comes after that, and we would love to tell you and talk with you more about it. So before you leave this morning, if, if you have put your faith in Jesus this morning or you would like to, talk, talk to the Christian friend who brought you, see me at the door, see some of the other folks. As a matter of fact, if you're a member of the church here at ARC and you know the gospel, you understand the gospel, would you raise your hand real quick? That should be everybody. Okay. So you see all the hands up. Just grab, keep them up for just a second. Just keep them up for just a second. Just, just grab someone whose hand is up, and we'd be happy to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. And if they don't have the question, they'll grab somebody else whose hand is up, okay? Don't leave before you do that. Well, beloved, we could summarize this part of our covenant and these two verses in three words, rejoice, weep, carry. Rejoice, weep, carry. How do we know we're in covenant community? Well, it's because we will will together to feel together and heal together. We follow a suffering Savior, but also a victorious Savior. And it's the most natural thing in the world that we would share in his suffering and share in it with each other, but also share in his victory and rejoicing his victory. As we covenant together, may that be our experience day to day and week to week. Let's pray together. Well, we're reminded of that passage in your word that says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. It has been our experience as Christian people that you have sometimes allowed us to suffer, but you have always comforted us. We give you praise for your comfort and we give you praise for your community, the church. We pray that we would indeed be a community of great empathy rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, carrying each other's burdens. And we pray that we will be a community that is resolved to do this, that we have ended our bargaining with ourselves and we have sort of given ourselves all in to this love. We'll do this, Lord, not by our strength, but by your spirit. So fill us with your spirit, we pray. Bring yourself glory in this community, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.